you spend a few moments in prayer with me, please? Father God, we just sang it and confessed it that all that we need and all that we really have is yours. It's all in you, Jesus. You know that we don't always live that way. You know that we like to claim so much of our lives and so much of what we have for ourselves. We like to believe that that we are good enough and strong enough to make it through this life on our own. We like to believe that we have somehow earned and therefore possess the good things we have experienced in our lives. We like to think and believe that we're pretty good people. And yes, we might need you, Jesus, for just you know, a little bit of forgiveness, a little bit of grace. But the truth is we have nothing apart from you, Jesus. We are empty. We are hollow. We are poor and hungry. And yet with your grace, you have filled us. You have been so gracious to us. You have been so good to us, God. We don't deserve it. And so we ask, Father, that you would cultivate within us a deep sense of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you for that grace that saves us, for the assurance we can have that, that when this life is over, it is not the end. But because Jesus rose again, we too will rise again and spend eternity in your presence, forgiven and set free from whatever bondage and troubles of this world Thank you, Father, for that amazing gift of salvation that you've given. We're in awe. Give us, give us hearts of gratitude that never stop giving thanks for that amazing grace. And give us eyes to see the grace that you give every day in our lives, from the rising and the setting of the sun, to the rain and the snow that falls in its season, to day and night, to to a roof over our heads and food on our tables, to the experiences of life that we get to enjoy that so many others in this world never get to have. You have been so good to us, and we thank you. May every good and perfect gift, may every joyful thing in life, may every smile and laughter, may every feeling of contentment and peace, even in difficult times, be reason for us to be re Minded to give thanks to you. Father, cultivate within us that sense of gratitude. And please also cultivate within us a profound sense of trust. Remind us that this future belongs to you. We are so anxious about the future. So much is unknown and that frightens us, Father. And so we worry and we fret, and we live in fear. Remind us, Father, that this future belongs to you. Help us to learn to trust you. Remind us that you are powerful and you are good at all times, even when we wonder, even when, when in frustration and fear we cry out to you, wondering where you are. Remind us that you are still here that you are walking every step along with us, that you are giving us strength for each moment, and that you are carrying us through according to your covenant promise. So, Father, you know the anxieties that reside within every heart in this room.
You know, the, the anxieties that, that surround the relationships we have, marriage anxieties, anxieties over our, our children and our grandchildren, difficulties with friendships. You know, the anxieties that center around our jobs and our careers. You know, the anxieties for many here as they, as they need to make decisions for their future about what college to go to or what job to get. You know everything that worries us, Father. Help us to step boldly and confidently into your hand and hold us close to you as we trust you all along the way. Father, cultivate within us a courage, a courage to be able to live in relationship with you, the courage to be able to speak honestly with you about our heart's desires and our dreams. That does take courage, Father, because you are so beyond us. We hardly can, can comprehend who you are and, and how you would love us. You, almighty God, would be interested in each one of us, your created ones. And in humility, Father, remind us of how much you do love us and you want to know our hearts. And so, Father, we bring our requests humbly and boldly to you. Father, we want healing for Chris and Isaac and Nikki and Bruce and so many others whose needs, some of them we know, some of them we don't know. Father, we want you to heal them, and we're going to keep asking for that. And you're going to give us, and you're going to give them your grace maybe in the form of healing, maybe in the form of your great presence through their journey. Father, we're going to ask that you touch the hearts of the middle school students who are at their retreat right now, that you would touch them in special ways as so often these retreat settings can do and, and, and opens up their hearts to hear you in a new way. So Father, work powerfully in their worship service this morning. Father, we ask that you might Work powerfully to heal this world around us. We look around, we read the news, and there's so much hurt. There's so much brokenness. There's tensions between nations. There's refugees longing for a home. There's, war, there's wars that are tearing nations and lives and families apart. There's poverty. There's hunger. There's thirst. Father, we pray that you'd heal our nation. There's tension between races. There's, there's anger. Father, just down the street in Kalamazoo last night, we pray for that community with senseless murders. Father, bring healing and wholeness to those families, to that community, to our nation, and to our world. And Father, start by bringing healing and wholeness to our hearts, to our lives, because we are broken. And we hurt. And we need you. Start your healing right here with us. Heal our hearts spiritually, Father. So we might truly be and become your children. As you designed and desire us to be. Father, give us hearts that are open to you. Not just in these next few moments as we open up your word together. But give us hearts that are open to you all the time. 
wherever you placed us, at work, at home, in the neighborhood, at school, in the office, in the grocery store, on the court or the field. May we be your children, serving you above all else. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So this morning we continue our Lent journey. We're letting Isaiah carry us through Lent this year. Isaiah has that phrase, by his wounds we are healed. Last week we looked at what it meant to, to be healed by the wounds of Jesus. And we're taking the liberty of changing that last word throughout these 40 days to understand better what Jesus has done. And so this morning, instead of by his wounds we are healed, we're going to try and understand what it means that by his wounds we are redeemed. Redeemed. You know, other than, than redeeming coupons and redeem, redeeming gift cards... It's not a word that we use all that often. And very rarely do we, besides in this place every once in a while, do we talk about us being redeemed. So what does it mean that we have been redeemed? What does that really entail and what does that really mean? Why does that matter to us? Well, I think there's a scene in a blockbuster movie, actually a blockbuster musical, that shows us clearly what it means to be redeemed redeemed. Many of you have seen the musical, you've seen the movie Le Mis, and so you'll be familiar with this scene, okay? Jean Valjean is, is a good man. He's a good man who gets caught stealing bread for his family. His family is starving. He goes and he steals bread, gets caught, put in prison for 19 years, hard labor, right? And finally, after those 19 years, he's set free, but he's really not set free. Because being a prisoner in those days in 1700s in France means you're given a, a, a card, a yellow badge that you need to show to everybody that says, I'm an ex-con. I spent time in prison. So he can't find work. He can't find friends. He's, he's poor. He's hungry. He's desperate. And one night a priest takes him in. He sees him huddled in the corner, takes him in. He gives him food. He gives him a place to sleep. And in return, Jean Valjean wakes up early in the morning, packs up all the priest's silver in a bag, throws it over his shoulder, and takes off. He steals again, this time silver. He's like the Grinch with a pack of silver heading out. And he gets caught. He is caught red-handed. No doubt about his guilt. Watch this clip and see what happens when he's caught. Get in there! Put him down! Stay there! Monsignor, we have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. You had the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. 
I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for Jean Valjean is redeemed. Because to be redeemed is to be bought back at a price. Right? It's just to recover possession of something at a cost, at a price. There's two things that happen in the redemption process. First, there is a price that must be paid. And second, there is a homecoming that happens. Because the price is paid simply to return something to where it belonged. To where it was supposed to be in the first place. When we are redeemed, we are returned back to where we belong. And so in this clip, the, the priest pays the price of his silver. A very high price. A very high cost. To return Jean Valjean to God. To bring him back to where he belonged. Right? With this silver, I have saved your soul for God. Earlier versions, he says, with this silver, I have bought your soul for God. Those are the words of a redeemer. One who buys back what was lost, what was taken. And that is your spiritual story. That's my spiritual story. Right? We belonged to God. Right, We were his children, created by him and for him. And then sin came into our lives, and sin came into our veins and affected every part of us. And at the very moment that sin entered, there was a change of possession. We no longer belonged to God, but we were rightfully claimed by Satan. We were his sinners, guilty deserving of eternal punishment. That's where we belonged. And there's no way for us to get ourselves back to God. There is no way for any of us to set ourselves free from the guilt that has chained us now to Satan. But we celebrate in this season of Lent the fact that we have been redeemed. We have been bought back for God. But the cost to redeem your soul, the cost to redeem your life, is not measured in silver. That would be too easy. That would be far too low of a price to pay. The price to redeem your soul and mine is measured in blood. In the blood of Jesus that poured out of his wounds on the cross. It is by his wounds that we have been redeemed, that we have been bought back. That's exactly what the apostle Peter writes. He, he writes, writes this in 1 Peter 1. He says, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver 
and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. With his blood, Jesus bought you back for God. And with that fact in mind, we must never forget that that signals a dramatic change in ownership for your life. Right? We, we, so, often, we so often declare that on the cross, Jesus set us free. Right? And, and that statement, to some extent, is true, right? We're, we're free from sin. We're free from guilt. We're free from the punishment that we deserved. And yet, the... The foundational truth is that Jesus did not die to set us free. That's not true. Jesus died on that cross to return us back where we belong, and we belong to God. Jesus died on the cross to return us to our rightful master, to set us free from where we had been held captive, and to bring us to our rightful master, to bring us back home again. And now we serve God. And we confess that every time we say the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, right? What is your only comfort in life and in death? Not that I'm free to live as I wish. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but I belong. I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has set me free with his precious blood. He's bought us. He's redeemed us. And now we belong to him. So when we're tempted, as we often are, to wave our flag of freedom, like, we, like as we like to do in this country, right? We're free. Well, stop for a moment and remember this foundational truth of your life. You are not free. Paul makes that crystal clear for us in Romans chapter 6. He honestly, first of all, identifies us as slaves to sin. Right? Our guilt hands us over as prisoners that belong to Satan. But Paul tells us that through Jesus, you have been set free from sin. And we like to stop reading there, don't we? And celebrate freedom. Yay, we're free. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Our redemption doesn't buy our freedom. It changes our master. We're now slaves to God. We belong to him. He has bought us back. And that change of ownership demands a change of life. Because if we now belong to God, if he is truly our rightful owner and our master, then we need to listen to him, right? We need to obey what he has to say. We need to submit to him. And we don't always like to hear that, do we? Those are not words that we, we love to hear. We want to be free. Right? We, we want to make our own choices in life. We want to make our own decisions. We want to control ourselves. Right? We want to we decide how we spend our money. We want to make the final decision on what we're going to do this weekend or what we're going to do over spring break. We want to decide what career we want to pursue. We want to choose how we're going to run our business. 
We want to choose who I'm going to vote for and, and how I want to live my life. We don't want to belong to anybody. We don't want to submit to anybody. And yet, God is our master. And when we submit, when we let our new life be shaped by our new ownership, then we live life the way that brings fullness and joy. That's what Psalm 107 shows us. Take out your Bibles. Turn with me to Psalm 107, page 592 in the Bibles in front of you. Right? Just a few moments ago, Peter told us the truth of what it means to be redeemed by God and to belong to God now. Right? He said, you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Hey, did you notice there what we were redeemed from? He says, you were redeemed from an empty way of life. When we let ourselves be in charge, when we think we're going to make life the way that it fully should be, we find an empty way of life. We find happiness instead of joy. We find surface, surface pleasure instead of true, deep contentment. Right? So if we have this empty way of life, then, then he's assuming that there's an opposite, right? That there's a full life that we then live when we let God be our master, when we allow ourselves to be redeemed and bought back. That's where true living is found. And that's what Psalm 107 tells us. It's what it told these Old Testament readers way back thousands of years ago and still tells us today. It gives us some really... Some really practical glimpses as to what life looks like when we live as redeemed, bought back people of God. I mean, look at who this psalm is written to. The first three verses are kind of the introduction. Listen to this. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Let the redeemed of the Lord, let those he has bought back say praise be to God. Okay, so this, is, this psalm is written to those who are redeemed. And it paints a picture of the new life that's available and open to them. It's open to us. When we belong to God. The redeeming blood of Jesus changes lives in practical ways. And it starts in verses 4 through 9. Listen to illustration number 1. It says, Some wandered in the desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Okay, pause there for a moment. Some wandered in the desert wastelands. The people of Israel knew all about wandering, didn't they? They spent 40 years, 40 years wandering in the desert Hostile neighbors on every side, living in tents, wondering where food was going to come from, wondering where their water was going to come from. They were people without a home. That, that history is fresh in their minds. And what did God do for them? 
He bought them back and he gave them a home, a place to belong. It says he, he gave them, he brought them to a city where they could settle. What we're learning in these verses is that a re, God redeems our lives from, from us being wanderers, lost, to, to people who are settled with a place to belong, with a safe place to call home. Now, I, I doubt that many of us here are wandering around the country looking for a city to call home. Okay, not many of us are wandering in desert places, literally. But every single one of us is searching for that place to belong. We need the safety and security of those friendships and relationships in our lives. And that's what God gives us. He gives us a place to belong. We have a, in him we have a home. We have a community. We have a family. We have a place to belong in Jesus. My guess is some of us here have experienced the pain of being a wanderer in life. Of not having a place to belong. Maybe you experienced it in middle school and high school when everybody seems to have a friend and you didn't know where you belonged and you were lost and your heart hurt and life was difficult. Maybe you experienced it when you moved from one city to another and suddenly you're in the middle of a strange place and you don't know where you belong. You don't have friends. You don't have people. You're lost. Maybe you've experienced it even after the death of someone you love. Maybe a spouse, maybe a parent. And suddenly without that person in your life, you're lost. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you belong. You can be lost and lonely even when you're surrounded, surrounded by people. Some of you know what it means to be looking for a place to belong. And those of you who know that feeling know better than the rest of us the full life that then comes from being redeemed. And because God doesn't let us keep wandering lost, he gives us a place to belong. He buys us back and gives us a place to belong. And he says, you belong in my presence. You belong with me. And even if there's nobody in this world, that no place in this world where you belong, you belong here. With me, you're never lost and you're never alone. He redeems us and we belong to him and we belong to his family. Right? God gives us a place like this to belong with people who care, people who share love for him. And through them, God gives us a safe place. Now, do we as the Ivan Rust Church community always live out that redeeming grace perfectly with each other? No, no church does. Sometimes we're great at being family with each other, of making sure we belong. And sometimes we fail. Sometimes we really blow it. But hopefully, through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, we can together become more and more the family of God, Offering people who are wandering, looking for fullness in life, looking for a place to belong, we can say to them, you belong here because God is here and you belong to him. By his wounds we are redeemed from being wanderers looking for a place to belong to having a safe place with him to settle in his presence. 
and by his wounds, we are redeemed from bondage to freedom. Listen to the redemption of the prisoner in verses 10 through 16. Here's the second illustration the psalmist gives. He says, some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Now verses 10, 11, and 12 there don't paint a very pretty picture. Right, here is a, a worn down and worn out prisoner. During the day, he's forced to do hard labor, and at night, he's chained to the wall of a, of a dark, dank dungeon. And no matter how loudly he cries out, there's no one to hear him. There's no one to rescue him. There's no one to set him free because he deserves to be there. He's guilty. He's made life choices that brought him there. And he cries out to the Lord. And God's redeeming power comes and breaks his chains and sets him free. Right? Well, well, you and I probably have not very often, if ever, been chained to a prison wall. Many of us here this morning have had our own dungeon walls hold us captive, right? Our, our chains may look different. But they bring the same darkness, they bring the same gloom, they bring the same helplessness and trappedness in our lives, right? They're the prison bars of our lives that hold us back and hold us down, and it seems like there's no escape. But through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, God comes and he breaks down those walls and he cuts through those chains that hold us away from him. Right? It's by Jesus' wounds that some of us here have been set free from the chains of addiction, whether that's addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography or materialism. We've been set free by the wounds of Jesus. It's by Jesus' wounds that we've been set free from the chains of poverty. Some of us have been set free from the chains of, of materialism and wealth. It's by Jesus' wounds that we've been set free by the, from the chains of bitterness that hold us back, right? When we hold on to bitterness, and instead we've been given the grace to forgive. It's by Jesus' wounds that we've been set free from the, from the chains of achievement and pride that keep us away from God because we don't need him because we're good enough on our own. And instead we've been set free to see that our value comes in who we are in him. And, and those of us here who are still chained to our dungeon wall, those of us who are still trapped, living out this empty way of life, it's so unfulfilling. I want you to know this morning that the price to free you from your dungeon, the price to free you from this, this cycle that you're stuck on that's keeping you away from God, the price has already been paid. You are free. The chain can be broken. The, the dungeon door can be opened. That freedom is offered by the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. 
by his wounds, you have been redeemed. He can and will break those chains of oppression that hold you back from who you've been created to be. Jesus has bought back your soul. But he's also bought back your body. This next section, 17 through 22, looks at the redemption of our bodies from, from physical brokenness to healing. Listen to what he says. Some became fools through their rebellious ways, and they suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Many of us, if not all of us here, have walked the incredibly painful and difficult journey through physical pain and maybe even through death. Some of you are in the middle of that journey right now. Some of us have spent time in, in hospitals and rehab centers. We felt the pain of knee replacements and chemotherapy and, and broken bones and weakened hearts and failing minds. Or maybe we sat, maybe we sat helplessly by the side of someone we love who's taken that journey. And, and many of us here this morning can celebrate the healing that God has given to us, the healing that God gives Right? He has redeemed us from sickness to health. God's given the doctors and the nurses the abilities and the wisdom to bring healing. God created medicines and the latest advancements of technology that has brought us relief. God has demonstrated his great power to heal through surgeries and rehab. And we celebrate the source of that ultimate healing, which is God. He's redeemed us physically. And others of us here this morning are left wondering, well, what about me? And what about the one I love? What about those who didn't get rescued from the grave? Right? What about those bodies who didn't heal? The medicines that didn't make a difference? The doctors and nurses who finally threw up their hands and said, there's nothing more we can do. Even in the midst of that great sorrow, and there's no denying that that's a great sorrow, God brings his redeeming power to save. Right? In 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul reminds us that even death, in the face of the wounds of Jesus, in the face of the cross and the empty tomb, even death has lost its victory. Even death, even though it brings us sorrow and pain, has lost its sting because of the hope and the confidence that the empty cross and the empty tomb gives us. Death does not get the last word, not with these physical bodies of ours. Jesus gets the last word. Because someday, someday these physical bodies of ours will be resurrected and they will be perfected and there will be no more brokenness. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. And God's redemption power will raise us physically and heal us completely by Jesus' wounds, by the brokenness of his body. 
our bodies will be healed and made whole. Sometimes in this life, guaranteed for the next. Finally, the fourth picture we get. By Jesus' wound, we are redeemed from uncertainty to assurance. And doesn't it feel like sometimes this life is a raging ocean? And we're a tiny rowboat being tossed every which way, just trying desperately to stay afloat. For some of you, I probably just described how you're feeling right now in life. And that's exactly the image that we get starting in verse 23. It says, others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a, tempted, a tempest and lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of his people and praise him in the council of his elders. Couldn't that describe us? Right? Their courage melted away. And they were at their wit's end. Some of us have had our courage melted away in the face of life. Some of us are sitting here this morning, we're at our wit's end. Someday we'll be there. Life isn't easy. God never promised that it would be. That Jesus himself told us that in this world we're going to have trouble. Count on it, he said. That's the reality we face in a world that's been bent and twisted and broken by sin. Sometimes, sometimes in this life you're going to feel like you're riding the crest of that 30-foot wave. And it's a thrilling journey. And you're like a surfer flying high. And there's other moments in life where you're going to feel like that wave has plunged you down into the trough and is threatening to crush you and swamp you. And when we find ourselves broken and scared and hurting and overwhelmed, it is God who comes with great compassion and brings us assurance. It is God, the psalmist says, who brings calm to the storm who guides us to our desired haven. It's God who comes when we feel like giving up and picks us up and gives us strength to stand even for one more day. And it's God who we can count on throughout the journey to be by our side and to be on our side and to never leave us because we've been bought back for him. And he will carry us safely. You know what? can't guarantee that all the troubles of this life will go away. But we know who holds eternity, right? And he will steer our ship into port. 
where God the Father is waiting and will take care of us forever and ever. You know, what is that desired haven, that safe place in this life? Well, what did God do for the people of Israel who first read this, this psalm, who sang it off, and when they called out to him, well, what did he do for you and for me when we lived in obedience, letting our lives be shaped by the one we belong to? Well, we get a picture of that desired haven as the psalmist finishes the song in verses 33 through the end. Listen to this. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water and parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards and yielded a fruitful harvest, and he blessed them. And their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. When their numbers decreased, then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and, the, and increased their families like flocks. The upright see the righteous but all the wicked shut their mouths. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things. Consider the great love of the Lord. Consider the great love of the Lord. Who, when we live with him as our redeemer, as our master, and say, I'll let you direct my life, then he turns dry places into pools of water. And he turns desert land into a place where harvests are huge. And when we say, I'm going to live my own empty way of living. I'm on my own. I belong to myself. That's when the pools dry up. That's when the harvest goes away. He has redeemed you. Consider the great love of the Lord. Consider the great love of Jesus who redeemed you, who paid an immense price to buy you back for God. Who for this life and the next offers you a life that's full. Offers you a life that's worth living. All by his wounds. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you are now redeemed and bought back for God. Now let that changed ownership lead to a changed life. Would you pray with me? Father God, you know how rebellious we are. We like to think that we are master of our own destiny. We like to think that we have control. And because we are stubborn, we live an empty way of life. And you offer to us, Father, grace. You offer us assurance. You offer us comfort. You offer us promises for this life and for eternity. 
You promise us your presence and a place to belong. You promise us yourself because we belong to you. Father, humble us enough so that we will lay down our pride. We will lay down our stubbornness and we will open our hearts to let you be our master. To feel your presence carrying us through the difficult times. To hear your promises that you will never leave us and never forsake us. To hear your assurance that this life will not end in defeat, but we will end in victory forever and ever. To hear you say to us, I love you, and you are mine because I bought you with the blood of my own son. Father, may we hear you say, welcome home, because we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing one final song, and we are going to celebrate the price that was paid to redeem you and to redeem me. We're going to sing hallelujah for